Welcome to The Dow Factor. I'm your host, Lisa Yu. I'm a tech investor, entrepreneur, and speaker that got into crypto in 2017. This podcast will cover crypto, DAOs, Web3 communities, and the key leaders behind them. For those who are new to DAOs, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization that's taking the world by storm. Today, I'm super excited to introduce to you our guest, Flex Chapman, founder of Kraus House, a community of hoop fanatics just crazy enough to buy an NBA team. Their mission is to collectively own and operate an NBA franchise as a DAO. First off, Flex, what are you most passionate about and what motivates you to wake up every day? Yeah, I'm going to go with probably the the easiest and most intuitive one is it's kind of a a dream come true that my full-time job is trying to figure out how to collectively organize and coordinate a bunch of basketball fans from all over the world to pull not only financial capital, but human capital together um, and actually get on the cap table of an NBA team. Like uh, I I couldn't have guessed in my wildest dreams that 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 would ever be my my full-time job, but, but here we are. It's, that is, that's definitely what the get out of bed moment every day is for sure. That, that mission and, and, and trying to accomplish that. Yeah, that's incredible. And what inspired you to start Krause House? Has been an idea that's been brewing or because of, you know, current technology and innovation that you decided now is the time? Yeah, good question. So it is kind of an unorthodox story. So uh, the founder and uh, the co-founder and myself, um, who goes by Commodore, we were actually, so we're longtime basketball fans and friends, uh, actually in the same third grade class together. So uh, have known each other for, for quite some time. And our dream was always to eventually own an NBA team. And so I think growing up playing, right, I think your first dream is to, is to eventually play in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but everyone kind of gets the first dose of reality, probably late middle school, early high school, that the chances are that you will not be playing in the NBA. And so kind of the next exciting thing is, oh, well, cool. What if we could own a team? And then you get that (laughs) that second dose of reality where statistically speaking, uh, those are are equally as improbable. Um, In fact, I think it's probably- You'd be a billionaire and know people and have access. Exactly. So actually I think the chance, right? I think there's there's only 4,000 or so players to ever play uh, in the, in the NBA, not total a lot billionaires. No, not at all, uh, ever. Right. And so, yeah. um, it is a very small kind of sub cohort of, of the population that actually gets it, that actually has that opportunity. Yeah. It's like so, elite athlete status. Exactly. Exactly. And so we were sitting here and then, and then kind of backing up a little bit, I'm, I'm a long time software engineer. So I was introduced in crypto very much from the technical side of things, right? And so first hearing about Bitcoin, probably in 2012 or 2013. And then once I started reading about Ethereum and Solidity, and I deployed my first really lightweight smart contract back in 2017. So I was always interested, but I always kind of kept, I always sat on the sidelines, right? I saw DeFi summer kind of roll around. I was like, that's really interesting. And I want to get involved. And we saw the NFT run up in 2020. Mm -hmm. And the whole time, just like outside looking in, waiting for this opportunity. And so when I first heard about, heard out about found out about DAO, sorry, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. This is the kind of the, the human centric, you know, community led way to bring all these crypto primitives that we've grown to love, like DeFi and NFTs and tokens and governance and kind of wrap them all together with community. And I was like, this is, this is really fascinating. So um, ironically, this is where it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird is as longtime product builders, our first instinct was to create a DAO and contribute to a few DAOs to kind of get this holistic vantage point of all the problem space, because, you know, I'll be the first to tell you DAOs have a lot of issues. Like we, we see the opportunity, but there's, there's certainly some things that need to be solved. So like, mm-hmm. Hey, let's get some hands-on experience of what it's like to build, uh, and also join some of these communities. And then we were actually thinking about building some sort of tooling or some product or service to address those problems. And so very ironically, right. We were like, Hey, what, um, what's the craziest thing that we can go do to, to actually, to actually solve this. And we thought what better way than, uh, than to kind of give the, the full experience, the true nature, nature of DAOs, which we believe is, is kind of difficult by one achievable by many. And so mm-hmm. we said, what if that is to buy an MBA team? 
And so we launched, and again, no marketing experience, first-time community builders. It just kind of caught traction. And so I remember calling Commodore like three weeks into it. And I was like, hey, Dow tooling is a great space. Don't get me wrong, but there's enough smart, talented people that actually want to try to see this happening. So this is our product now. Like this is what we're doing. And so, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. And almost to the day, we've been at it for about a year. Wow. Incredible. Well, congrats for just putting this together and seeing the vision. And I can tell you're very passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, when we first met, talked about how DAOs is this intersection of community and technology, and it brings the human element into, into this new tech. And, you know, now that we have the structures for it, it seems like there's not a better time than now, you know, to start this community ownership, um, you know, whether it's, it's an NBA team or, or something else. And, you know, I'm curious, like, how did you know that this was going to work? Like, what gaps did you see in MBA team ownership today? And how are you looking to solve it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of people uh, intuitively think that the two kind of are at odds. You have like this this mega billionaire owner face of the franchise and then the fans. And so it's a little bit sensitive to talk about fan-based ownership or community ownership, like the two are at odds. But really what it is, is I, I think really we want to kind of leverage all the potential energy that's just sitting in the fan base. I think when you think of fans, you typically think of everyone just filling a stadium, roughly wearing the same color jerseys, right. And cheering for the same team. But these are, yeah, these are, these are entrepreneurs. These are accountants. These are lawyers. These are people who have started their own development companies or marketing agencies, right. Where, and they're already so irrationally passionate about the, the team that they support that I think with this concept of, of trustless and kind of the immutability of, of blockchain technology and, and what we can do, um, you can actually start to, to harness some of that, some of that talent and that labor pool within the fan base to actually add a lot of value to the franchise. Right. And so that yeah. ownership and agency thing is actually really compelling, right? Where if I'm, even if I work, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, when the weekend rolls around, knowing that I can either own, uh, or sorry, I can I can build equity in my favorite team that I support. Like that's something I'm totally willing to do. And so we think about some a team like the Los Angeles Lakers, right? They have one of the most storied franchises in all of sports. It's not just NBA, right? Yeah. Like, and so they have an analytics Super team fan. of one person. Yeah, yeah, they have they have an analytics team of one person. And so in Krausehouse, even today, right? We have five or six data scientists, one PhD candidate, another founder that's going currently going through an exit, right? So really talented folks that would gladly five or six X that analytics output and run regression models and put together reports uh, mm. in their free time and just, and then supplement and augment what these team business units or operational groups are already doing. And so that's something that we really don't think we really don't think of it as, as, hey, the there's no room for the majority owner. In fact, the opposite. We want to kind of come in and really, really help out. But we think that there's a shared upside component um, that that will enable that through ownership. Yeah, no, that's great. It sounds like you really feel like not only are the fans just going to be part of the DAO, they get to be an active participant. They get to contribute. They get to you know, help build the franchise and that decentralized ownership can bring more value to the team rather than having a single owner or a small board of owners, because, you know, the, the fans are going to want to know what the, the viewers want because they are the ones showing up to the games, you know, every week. And sometimes even as an owner of an NBA, you might not have the time, you know, to, mm-hmm. to show up to every game. So, you know, who's going to be the, the people who are present, who's going to be the people who are, you know, giving that two-way feedback. And I think, I think this is, this is really great. And um, I'm, I'm glad that you're trying to be very inclusive and bringing more people into having access to ownership because um, that's what, you know, Web3 is all about. It's having access, you know, freedom and ownership and really being able to decentralize from having a more a, a t- like authoritative figure, centralized ownership of data and of, of businesses and just 
being able to distribute that across you know multiple owners and so being power to the people i'm curious you know what is what is your background as an athlete you know is you know obviously you mentioned you know playing basketball growing up i want to hear more about you know your involvement in different teams and how that has shaped you as an entrepreneur I'll start by saying a disclaimer. I don't necessarily have an illustrious uh, uh, basketball career compared to some of the people that I've got a chance to speak to, um, but grew up playing my whole life. I uh, played a lot of different sports in high school, um, all three all three seasons, if you will, and in the, um, during, the, during the high school years of so football, basketball, and baseball. And then really, really what, what I think caused me to be so passionate about this thing is, is talking to some of these athletes that, that have played overseas or made it to the NBA or, or even kind of moved on to eventually getting front office positions or anchors on a, on a, on a media, like a large media network. I think this concept of, of ownership is kind of really like a, a appealing to them. And so I think just like, regardless of, of whether you play just kind of for fun, uh, just casually, uh, or you've had that experience to make it to the top, what we think is the top professional league in the entire world, which is the NBA. Yeah, there's a really compelling thing. I think what we've been able to do is tap into those heartstrings of, of everyone, regardless, who just love the game, including myself, right? Who played um, high school in a very brief stint on the college level. Uh, and there's people that that didn't even play for the high school team, but still play two or three times a week. It's a, it's a really powerful powerful game it's kind of adopts and drives this concept of fanhood and we talk about this in our in our hype paper which is our kind of like our, our first our first piece that we oh published. your hype paper versus the white paper <laughs> yeah 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 and we also have a flight paper that's a little bit more technical um where we actually outline kind of a, some of the roadmap and, and how we think about structuring this but that was kind of our, our like a our hello world type post if you will and so i think to be a fan right and, and to be a participant in something like that is really to kind of like, it's the truest form of, of love and community, in my opinion, right? It's, a, it's, mm -hmm. to, it's to feel that you're a part of something, both that participation element and that fandom element, like the, the active participation and the kind of the passive one where you're just like watching your favorite team uh, yeah. on TV. But that together immediately makes you part of a community and the success of the team that you, that you pull for, the mo you are emotionally connected to that, despite yeah. not really having uh, anything to do with it. Like I said, it's almost a bit irrational, right? Where when my team loses, I'm bummed. And when they win, I'm, I'm excited. Like there's no reason for that. We can't quite explain that. It's almost like a phenomenon. And so I think what we've been able to do is like, hey, this is kind of the chance for like, regardless of where where you are on your athletic journey or where you ended, I think this is, this is the place for you. We actually, you know, we're the self-proclaimed internet's home team like if you like sports and you like crypto and you think there's actually a chance to go make this happen we, ha we have a spot for you what are some of the core values and tenets of krauss house i'd say the first one and this is the one that we're that we're we constantly find ourselves reminding people or anyone who's interested any prospective community members this is the one that we kind of kind of say it loud and proud is this is a very long-term initiative right and for a couple different reasons we have some shorter term goals um but if you think about how crazy it is for a bunch of nba fans all over the world to possibly have an ownership stake uh in a, in a, in a league like the nba is an incredible thing and it's 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 never been done before right and so i yeah. think that we are it's we're going to make mistakes i think we have to fight against some mainstream cynicism of of crypto in general so there's an educational component to it there's a value add component that the the few nba teams we'd actually have actually had an opportunity to speak with we said like hey put us in a position where it's kind of a low risk high impact scenario and like let us prove ourselves right and so you know mm -hmm. that could take months that could take years uh and so i think that the people that join particularly speaking to the ones that contribute, realize this isn't something that you're in and out for, for six months, right? This is something that's going to take a really, really long time to achieve our long-term vision. Prop, this is a whole another, another uh, uh, a rabbit hole, but we don't think it just ends with basketball. Like we think that there's, there's something we can do with kind of in the sports ecosystem more broadly. So to accomplish that, like, you know, the 20, 30 year mission, it's, it's going to take some rule changes. It's going to take us uh, over exceeding expectations. And so 
anyone who's a part of that that mission not to compare ourselves to something like a like a spacex we're not quite rocket scientists but like you know when elon musk talks about going to mars no one assumes he's going to get that done in six months and so um i think <laughs> uh, the people that join right they're not like oh hey i want to freelance for a couple months and help you achieve your goal it's like some of those people are planning are planning on being there for decades and i think we're more akin to that than something that's uh that's a little bit shorter format yeah i mean your goal is long-term ownership and to expand you know globally and to possibly own other types of sports teams. I mean, if I think of the international market, you know, soccer, you know, soccer yeah. is one of these, is the mo most popular sport in the entire world. And there definitely are fan bases in, in every country for that. But I identify with you. I'm definitely, basketball is, is my first, first love, <laughs> first fan. Um, I really loved the Houston Rockets growing up. And you know, I'm from Houston. And where are you from, by the way? Yes, yeah, so I grew up any players that you like looked up to or really, you know, cheered for growing up. Yeah, yeah, great question. Uh, so many. I'll go through the different eras. Like I said, I just for something about <laughs> basketball since since I was little. So I remember early days. You know, you have to say the obvious ones like uh, like MJ. Like oh, I remember seeing. I mean, yeah, I remember my dad telling me like I'm I'm just a kid, right? And he's like, we're watching a game. I don't know. I'm I'm. Def easily single digits right I'm, I'm i'm practically a baby he was like this is the best player to ever play basketball and i remember being like whoa that's that's crazy and so i remember my first couple of jordan games uh watching them on tv at least uh guys like charles barkley uh, it was great to watch growing up i was a huge larry mm -hmm. johnson fan it's a kind of one that's under the under the radar he played for the hornets for a while and then later later for the knicks so that was kind of like that 90s era which we actually at crosshouse we draw a lot of our inspiration from the 2000s, uh, actually, I think a mutual connection of ours. Loved Baron, watching Baron Davis um, uh, play. I thought he was, I thought he was amazing. Yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I got a chance to play against Kevin Durant in high school, so that was, uh, you know, no, no mystery there. He absolutely. You got to torched. play with him, against him. Against, yeah, against. That's uh, so. So yeah, no, as, as many of you might be able to guess, he absolutely, absolutely torched us. Um, I, I, I had a feeling, right, that he would end up roughly where he is today after watching him play. So yeah, Kevin, Kevin Durant, you might, you might lose some viewers after this. LeBron James, I, th I think he's, I think he's our goat. I know roughly the, the debate is out. I think I might be in the slight minority there. I think a lot of people still have Michael, but LeBron James has always kind of amazed me and how he can play. And then a lot of the newer guys love watching John Moran. I think he's one of the most explosive, exciting young players. I could go on and on. I think there's been, there's been so many talented marketable players. I remember Allen Iverson too, going back to the two thousands. I think he, he was such a fan favorite because he looked relatable. Oh, yeah. Like he looked tiny out there despite he's probably like six one, right? Um, <laughs> but he but he looked so small compared to everybody right. else. So I think I think he was a kid favorite, right? I think everyone kind of saw themselves when they were watching but that's AI. Underdog, right? We all tend to want to root for the underdog, the person who's unexpected, you know. Exactly. I had a brief run into personally with Kobe at um, at a gym uh, at, when I was oh. when I was living when I was living in New York, and I wasn't sure what uh what how he would be like just uh, just not knowing and honestly like couldn't say enough nice things about that guy he stayed and talked to everyone that came up with him for at least five minutes you know at least right was laughing joking around like incredible guy just an incredible dude so yeah i mean yeah. there's there's a there's been so many and that's why i think working with the nba i think would be a dream come true for a couple different reasons one i think they've just had amazing athletes I think they've done a really good job at promoting uh, their their players and and really keeping the entire league in a good lens. And they've they have a reputation to uphold, and so that's one of, that's one of our core missions too is is to build legitimacy for the NBA. Right? We want to make sure that however long it takes that we can prove ourselves to add a lot of value and maintain that that reputation. We think that DAOs have some unique primitives that could help not only add a lot of value to franchises, but the leagues themselves. But we want to kind of prove that stuff and, and show that we can do it because we just really value the NBA as a whole. Wow. I love that you want to collaborate, you know, with the NBA team and to really bring bridge the gap, right? Between fans, players, the management, right? Mm -hmm. They don't need to be siloed. I think in the new world, you know, with, with this whole DAO structure, 
you're really looking to create bridges. So that's really amazing. So with the rise of DAOs, so now there are about 5,000 DAOs and then you know, a million DAO members, and we're still in the very early stages. How are you looking to make DAOs more of a common occurrence? It's interesting. I thought a lot about this and I think despite its problems, I'll be the first one to tell you there's, there's issues. I, I meet with founders all the time. That was like, Hey, huge fan of Crosshouse. I'm thinking about starting a DAO and they kind of go into their pitch and I'm like, like, you sure you don't want to start just with an LLC, right? It'd be a lot easier, <laughs> right? Like, let's like, don't force a DAO if you don't need to. I don't think we could do what we were doing as a traditional corporation. So it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of awesome that we kind of, fell into this, into this, into this general You, you need space. a lot of capital and you, you want to crowdsource that. Yeah. And, and also like we need human capital too. And so I think this is, I think this okay. is my, that's, that's actually a good segue. Cause I think what I tell people all the time is we neglect to see how broken our, uh, what I'll call contributor or work works workforce space looks like in general, like anyone who's gone through an interview process, right? Like, you go to apply. If you're lucky to have a connection, you might condense that process a little bit, but not much. So if you're applying for a job, right, like a couple of weeks to get back back to you, four weeks interview process, you get ghosted more often than not. And then when you finally get in the door, right, you find out your boss isn't as cool as you thought he or she was at the at the during the interview. You never really got a chance to connect with your coworkers before. You get put in a project that that you weren't really promised. And then mm. you have to stay there for a couple of years to avoid looking like a job hopper because that reflects poorly on you. I mean, that that whole system start to finish is, is very broken in my opinion, right? Like yeah. I've had people who say the, the workplace is, is toxic. My coworkers are, are, are weird and difficult to work with, but I have to stay because if I go to another job, then I, I have to show that I've, I've put in time and I have tenure. DAOs fix almost all of that out of the box, like despite its problems, right? I know so many people that have started working for three or four different DAOs across a variety of skill sets. They can kind of see what they're working on. They can contribute on a, on a, on a liquid basis whenever they want. They can either earn something like USDC or other stable coin or earn equity, which is a huge component of DAOs too, right? It's like now it's no longer a financial barrier to own something. You can earn through contributing, right? Which immediately is a huge value add to the individual. And then you can kind of see where you fit in best, who you like working with, and then double down on the ones you like, or keep working for three or four. There's plenty of people that do that. And so how I would equate that is like, is like imagine if the interview process or, or the full-time contributor process was, I can work a couple of days at Google. I can work a couple of days at Stripe. I can work another few at Airbnb. I can see what team I'm on. I can see how I like my group, and then I can actually get paid in a mix of USD and equity in that company or shares. I mean, or that crypto. sounds like, the, <laughs> yeah, or crypto, like that sounds like the most ideal to me. And so yeah. I think what I tell people all the time is don't necessarily worry about if you have a hard skill or, or even a soft skill to come, you can jump in in a variety of ways. I've seen people that, that get started by taking notes uh, on calls or, um, or hosting Twitter spaces or just something that's very kind of low lift. And then they kind of see what they like and what they don't like. And I think that is an advantage. Like people often talk about, oh, there's a commitment problem with, with DAOs. Like, yeah, that kind of comes with the territory, but what you get in the long term, right, is people that are really, really incentivized to be there. They're, they, they're there because they want to be and not because it's a job. Yeah. I think they, those things- They own a piece of it. There's a sense of ownership exactly. and responsibility because you've committed to something. And that's, and to be honest, that's how it works today, right? Despite the problems and like all these things that I talk about is how do you determine reputation? How do you do? There's people that are way, way smarter than smarter than I am working on that stuff, which, which is fantastic. Collaborating with some of the builders in the space on, on how we build that, how can Crosshouse help uh, speed that roadmap? So the definition of an optimist is not to think that there's no problems. It's to think that all the problems that are there in a space can be solved. And that's, that's the, mm -hmm. that's the quintessential viewpoint that I have with DAOs is that there are totally there's issues there's totally issues but like like you said we're in the early innings right there's there's so much time left there we're, we're super early and I think that I see luckily I can kind of I have a good vantage point where I see 
the progress that's being made on all those respective problems. And it gets me really excited about the future of worldwide global collaboration uh, on the internet. I think that I think we're looking at the future work. I don't think the world needs to be decentralized. I don't think that every DAO or sorry, every startup needs to turn to a DAO, but can really big impactful missions be solved by these value aligned communities coming together regardless of time zone? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's just a new way to organize. And, you know, for DAOs, you can now earn issue equity, raise funds and tokens, make decisions, you know, vote, you know, govern and operate on a global scale. So that, that just all sounds really incredible. And I think, I think you nailed it, you know, when you talked about, you know, not, it's not like trying to force, you know, a, a square peg in a, in a hole. It's, it's really, you know, some things are better off as LLC. Some things require a DAO for more large scale impact. And so I love that you are kind of having that mindset of, you know, how, how can this be an impactful organization? So in your mind, you know, I guess what would be the benefits of running an MBA team as a DAO and what kind of fresh ideas are you looking to bring, you know, into, into this, into the sports world? Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome question. Um, I've obviously thought about this a ton, so uh, I don't, it's, it's hard to even know where to begin. I think that right now, and this is actually going on today, right? So we have a group called DSO, it stands for Decentralized Sports Operations. And basically they're kind of an R&D skunk works group that is analyzing every possible business unit of an NBA franchise, anywhere, anything from player development, team development, scouting, analytics, stadium operations, media, right? All these things. And they're basically looking for opportunities where a decentralized and community centric design could actually add a lot of value to those positions. And so we'll be the first to tell you that there's some things that work on the league level and the team level that just work perfectly today, right? They, they just, they, they're, they work exactly how they're supposed to work. And so that doesn't mean that a decentral, like decentralization solves everything, but are there things that could kind of help, right? And we've talked to, teams about you know what is a distributed network of scouts look like right like depending on some teams they have a small number of scouts uh someone like the warriors have 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 a bit have a bit more they they have a, a one of the larger front offices in the league which is probably not a, not a surprise but instead of these scouts that can only be one place at one time right to check out a few pro- prospects what if you could send people from all over the world to regardless of skill but like record games or take notes of body language or how they interact with the coach, right? Like what does a distributed scouting network look like? Things like mm-hmm. analytics, right? Like getting, pulling people that are in Southeast Asia or Central Europe that are, or that are high leverage PhD students or college students to help with uh, training models. We're working with a, a team right now that does, that does player recognition and builds computer vision models based on, based on movement, right? And like they're just yeah. mem- members of Krausehaus, right? And so you could either hire those people to join the front office, you could pay them as a service, or in a roundabout way, you if you're an NBA team, you could have us pay you by being an owner, right? And so it's right. really com- it's really compelling uh, kind of short term case that 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 we're that we're really doing. And so there's all these things we're, we're thinking about. Hey, what is a what does a token holder press conference look like, right? Like, and we don't know if these are good ideas or, or bad, but like. What if certain number of token holders allow to ask the players direct questions after 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 games um, and not just be completely reliant on on journalists or media, right? And so, right now we're in very much in that in that experimental phase of like what what can we do to add value? What can you do when you have ten thousand people all over the world with a variety of hard skills and soft skills that are ready to ready to 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 get involved? And again, it's not a takeover thing; it's a it's a staff augmentation thing. And so. Uh, really, there's there's so many things that I think we could do. I think our minds immediately go to like general management, like, you know, how do we find out who to trade or who to sign? And after digging into that a little bit, a lot of these GMs, they make personal deep connections with players and players' families and agents. That might be something that we are not able to tap into for a while, if ever, right? And so right now we're just kind of learning as much as we can about how to run a team, looking for opportunities, looking for ways that, um, like I said, we can leverage the talented community to help out. But 
I don't think there's anything off limits, but also we're not going to be naive and say, you know, everything is going to be fully decentralized and, and, and completely global. I think we're looking for ways to improve current process. Well, it sounds like you're building community. I mean, you are building a community of fans that are gathered around a common set of interests, obviously in this case, for the love of the game. Um, and so this is the question I had for you. Um, what do you think is the heart of building community? Like beyond like the tools and the optics and like, you know, how DAOs are run. Um, what do you think is the kind of the heart behind it? Like the human element? Just to give a little bit of backstory, right? Like I kind of said at the um, at the top of the interview was that we're very, we were very much product people. And so building community and marketing and things like that, which is how we started was, was kind of intimidating for us. It's just skills that we, that we didn't have really. And so with that was kind of interesting thing is we didn't know what we were doing, which was a good and bad thing, right? It's a little bit of a du double-edged sword because we made mistakes that, you know, every marketing person in the world knows not to do, right? But we didn't know any better. Um, but we also, we're forced to look at things through first principles. We had, we, we could only experiment because we just didn't know any better. And so mm -hmm. a lot of stuff came out of that, that I think that I would consider us right as thought leaders in some particular space. And one of those is, especially if you're starting out doing things that don't scale, like I remember someone who's probably a, a longtime community builder would be, a, would be upset by our early growth, right? But I remember when we got our first five people in Discord, like I was ecstatic, like that, that meant yeah. the world to me. So I was calling them and we're holding, having meetings and getting to know them. And then once we started to hit that, like, you know, a hundred-ish area, I remember there was an intro channel and people would come in and anyone with an interesting background or that I thought was, was, was really cool or had some story, I would get them on the phone. And I would, I would talk like, Hey, what do you, like, why Krauss House? What do you want to do? What are your skills? And the answers I got were like mind blowing. Because in my head, everyone wants to come because they want to own an NBA team. But I remember one conversation with like, hey, I was an anthropology major and I studied the rise and fall of ancient civilizations. And like, I literally thought I'd go the rest of my life without deploying any of this knowledge. But DAOs is my opportunity to like, to, to perhaps wow. write the ship and get it right. Right. And so like, they're not even a sports fan. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, so so it sounds it sounds so trivial but like these people that are joining community they're not just usernames like like yeah. talk to them and obviously you yeah. don't have time to do that all the time but i would say in the first couple of months i probably did 40 or 50 of those right and so uh, as many sometimes as three or four a day and so that really really helped for the scaling to the to the position that we are in now, because I learned so many things about what people want out of this, that it kind of helps at least with that early roadmap stage. So again, it, it, it sounds basic, but I'm telling you it's, it's, it's not, which is like talk to people within your community. All right. And like, yeah. you're going to find out so, so many nuggets of information that will last to those difficult points of scale and will help you push through those. I think right. number two is, and I was guilty of this too, coming from the startup world or corporate world, or I think anything that you can kind of deem as centralized, right? Is there's an emphasis for more, right? Like let's raise more money because we need more revenue. We need more headcount, and we need to scale. And that necessarily is not a bad thing, but I think people kind of applied that to, to DAOs and tokenized communities in the sense of like, oh, we need a hundred thousand people in our discord, right? Or we need 200,000 people in our discord. And this one is counterintuitive, but really what you're trying to do is actually make the DAO feel smaller, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to join a Discord where you're one of 8,000 or 80,000 people. That just seems too daunting. You're like, how am I going to make friends when I'm just one of 80,000 or 100,000? Yeah. Yeah. But what we try really hard at, at Krauss do is, is trying to is trying to understand who the person is that's joining. Like, I'm a graphics designer that is a Knicks fan. And so what happens is we try to build these kind of uh, these com composable either like meetings or onboarding cohorts that say that make people feel like, hey, I'm not one of 10,000. I am one of 50 other Knicks fans or I am one of 25 other graphic designers or I'm one of 10 of 10. Uh, I'm one of 10 people that went through this draft class with uh, this onboarding program. And so we have a couple 
self-organizing emergent teams that met each other in discord and run a five or six person team going to go do something to help the broader mission. And for all they know, Kraushaus is 10 people. Like they, like they don't know any better. And like, I think that's amazing. I'm based in yeah. LA and I don't consider myself one of 9 million. I consider myself, you know, one of X amount of people that live in my apartment building or one of X number of people that are in my friend group, right? Like that's how we cognitively think about this as self-organizing humans. And I think we mm -hmm. got that a little bit backwards with online communities. It was all about the size of the community, but really what it is, is it's the quality of, of interactions that you have as an individual. No, I think this is great because, you know, all of social media has been, you know, the numbers has been scaling and all about the, 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 you know, active users that you can onboard. And so all these, you know, big tech platforms and web three has been chasing the numbers, but the quality of connection isn't there. If anything is actually causing our society to, you know, harm, you know, as, mm -hmm. as some of the studies have shown. Right. And so I'm really glad that you bring up this point, you know, that, you know, DAOs are meant to make us feel like we're part of something big, but with a smaller group of people that can make an impact together. Totally. Right. And so, you know, I feel like, you know, you definitely did the right thing by interviewing the, the people and like talking to the humans and really, did you feel like you had to exercise some, you know, some new muscles, like with empathy and compassion, you know, being a developer and being on the product side, this kind of forced you to really be a community builder. It almost was like a forcing function and it was a requirement. And, and through that, you were able to, to learn exactly and precisely what the people wanted. Oh my, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I'm literally probably doing the opposite of what I had normally doing out throughout my entire career, which is, I think, I can say this because I, I am a former engineer, but it's like, yeah, it's it's very siloed. I think it's a lot more creative than people get it credit for. That's probably a different, different podcast, but I think it's it's very different. There's much less interaction by design. It's very, um, uh, even if you are interacting through a paired programming uh, initiative, it's it's basically maybe you and another developer, right? You're not doing uh, you're not doing a whole lot of a lot of interaction. And then, like you said, I was immediately like whiplash to the other side where I'm talking to 10 strangers a day across a variety of different things and, and trying to grow and cultivate that. So I think you use the word like compassion and empathy hundred percent. That's exactly what the, those muscles that needed, needed to be, needed to be flexed, no, no pun intended, but yeah, I had to, I had to get involved. <laughs> I had, I've had to get involved and like really understand why people wanted to do. And I'm really glad I did because I was, I was projecting kind of my own, vision and goals of what I would have want added out of this if I was a new contributor. And that's, that's not what, you, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's, you can't do that. In fact, because everyone is coming from, I mean, we're humans, we're coming from an infinite amount of variables and parameters to lead us to yeah. where we are now. And so they see Kraushaus and you're going to get such a wide variety of, of, of people and, and what they think. And honestly, like this is worth mentioning too. This is where I think is the most special about what we've built in hindsight, which is, I was telling, I tell any kind of community manager or, or growth person on a team to find, it's really difficult to, to set this. It's kind of has something that has to be emergent, right? Just like culture is not something that is dictated, something that's determined over time by a variety of people uh, that have roughly kind of the same, uh, same value and system beliefs. And what mm -hmm. I think is really special about Kraushaus is that nobody in the community has any business being an owner, right? We have no ultra high net worth individuals that, that are currently here. So individually, there's not a single person in Kraushaus that could go and get on the cap table of an NBA franchise. But together, we feel like if we work at this, you know, over time and do it together, that this is not only a real shot, but it's probably our only shot, like statistically speaking. So mm -hmm. there's this inertia that we have together that's saying like, hey, we're going to go try a bunch of different things because whether you think that means to go and collect a $1 from the 3 billion NBA fans all over the world, or you think that's going more grassroots and picking a team and working with the local community, and it doesn't matter because neither person's right, but also neither person's wrong. So like, let's all go yeah. figure this out and double down on what works. And I think that's what drives us forward. So 
Um, so that's why I think I think that empathy and compassion and knowing your community and 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 what what they want to solve is is pivotal. And to be looking out for that, I don't even I don't even know if I have a word for it, but it, like that it's that it's that underlying mission that I think everyone wakes up every day and, and goes to do. And I think that's something that we've been able to tap into and realize, you know, looking back, connecting the dots on that. That's incredible. Well, you teased earlier in the podcast of 10,000. So does that mean you're doing an NFT drop? <laughs> <laughs> so we have, we have a, a roughly, I think it's, I think it's just shy of 10,000. We have, uh, that's our kind of our public discord. We did it. And if, T drop last November. We had a goal of 200 ETH, but we eventually sold out of our whole supply, which is uh, which generated about a thousand ETH for us. Which at the time, near all time highs, and we're kind of in a different market, was just shy of like five million. I think maybe 4.6. I don't know when exactly this is is going to be published. We have another one coming up soon for NFT NYC. So that's I mean any any day now. At the time we're recording, you know, we're we're, we're mid June. That is coming short, uh, shortly. Uh, super excited about that. I think obviously 4 million or a couple million will not buy you an NBA team. So I think, um, I think when we have that opportunity, right, there's going to be something a lot, a lot bigger. There's going to be uh, oh. quite a lot of potential people that we're working with to, to kind of help make that happen. So worth noting that our initial NFT sale was not to purchase an NFT team. I think people who didn't fully read it, maybe uh, jump to conclusions there. I think this was to seed our initial treasury so we can go pay contributors oh. to actually move this thing forward um, yeah. in, 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 in all the ways that we see fit. Cause like I said, there's not a playbook for how to do this. So we're going to have to, right. we're going to have to use both human capital and, and, and financial capital to go and figure it out. Right. And so that, right. that was really what our initial, our initial NFT sale was for. Right. And you know, hey, if crypto goes to the moon, <laughs> it might be worth a couple million now. But if you're thinking of this as an investment, right, this long-term investment, it could become billions of dollars. It can it can get you to the point. And you can also continue to do more NFT drops seasonally and continue to grow the community. So there are, like you said, so many paths to the same goal. And as long as the community has the shared goal everyone will come together and, and build together. So that's really awesome. I love that. Yeah, that's a great point. So probably, probably worth also outlining like what we think a valuable proposal is like, we, we kind of allow for this, we, we want to allow for a very emergent roadmap. I think when people always ask like, Hey, what's your roadmap? It's like, I think it's just too, it's too difficult to say, Hey, like here's checkpoint A, B, and C. Like if we were a B2B SaaS company, I think it'd be very easy to do. If we, but for what we're doing, I think it's going to require a lot of different work and kind of testing things out. So yeah. basically interproposal has to fall in one of these three buckets, ideally more than one. But one thing we want to do is grow a quality community, not only grow, but retain, right? And so our growth has actually been su surprisingly linear, right? Like we had, didn't have this like really hockey stick moment, but that's actually worked really well for us because we've got to, kind of tweak how we do our governance and, and how we manage treasury and like, what does uh, contributor onboarding look like? And like, if we had a really fast, uh, I'll wake up one day with, with 50,000 users, that would be, that would be really difficult to do. So right. anything that kind of grows and retains top talent within the community, I think number two is either on-chain or off-chain revenue. So to your point, it's like, is that invest investing in things? Is that uh, like investing in different, NFTs is that building our own products and services that we can license to other people, mm -hmm. things as small as, as merch, right? Like, can we do a bunch of things collectively to start to grow our treasury where we don't have to constantly rely on crowdfunding? Like, absolutely we can. I mean, we have too many right. talented people in the community to not figure that stuff out. And we already have some, some really promising things that we're working on. And then the third is anything that will help prove legitimate to the NBA. Like, is there anything we can do, whether that's sponsorships, working with players, we have a huge philanthropic community in CrossHouse as well, right? And working with, trying to work with charities like NBA Cares. We're working with a couple of different organizations down in, in New Orleans, renovating basketball courts that haven't been touched up since Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. So like, yeah. these are all these things that we were gladly put money behind that to not only serve 
local communities, but to also show people that, you know, we are humans. We're not just a bunch of basketball fans, like in our parents' basement, right. Just on discord. Uh-huh. Day. Like, yeah, we are, yeah. we are like, we're actively we're trying to participants. Yeah. We're actively trying to improve society and show what we could do to add value to local communities, because let's face it, NBA team right now are still very much analog. Like, they, you have to be in a city to go to games and, and participate in some of these things. And so um, we don't, we don't ignore that. In fact, I think we can actually add a lot of value by what, what I'll call globally planning, but locally activating um, mm-hmm. uh, type, type thing. And so anyway, those, those three buckets are what we look for, for, but like anything that falls in, in those, if it does all three, fantastic, but it has to do at least one we will put money behind to go experiment and figure it out. And um, how can people join the DAO? How can people follow you and your journey? Probably easiest way is, is to go to kraushaus.club. So K-R-A-U-S-E-H-O-U-S-E.club. Uh, uh, there you can get our link to our Discord, like more than happy to, to come in and check it out. We have a bunch of NBA you know, banter. We have some, some DAO and kind of crypto stuff. There's people who are just dropping alpha left and right. If you're interested in in joining, there's some NFTs available on the secondary market. Um, we have some some pre NFT NYC as well that that we're getting ready to do. So lots of ways to get involved. If you're interested in contributing, come in and kind of raise your hand. We'll we'll, we'll find a spot for you. If you just kind of want to passively check in on us, Twitter is definitely our our main mode of communication. We do a lot of announcements there about all these cool things that we have going on, partnerships and things like that. So. There's a few different ways to kind of keep keep tabs on that. Whether you want to kind of do so actively, hop in the Discord and there's a spot. Uh, if you kind of want to passively keep keep tabs on us, I would say join the Discord on the, on the kind of the public domain and also keep track of us on Twitter. Amazing. And what's your advice to people who are just getting into Web3 or deciding if they should start or join a DAO? Yeah, so I hear this one a lot and I think it's I think it's for a good reason. I'm not contrarian in this sense. A lot of people are saying, hey, dive head first. It's, it's literally the best way. And to kind of uh, something I don't hear that often, right? I think I hear, I hear that one a lot, but I think, I think the reason why someone should dive head first in, in particularly in Web3 versus maybe another industry or another, another hobby is that particularly with DAOs and communities, there are so many new I don't want to call them jobs, but there's new areas or new primitives that just didn't exist in the traditional world. Like I've had people come to me and say, Hey, I'm a graphic designer or or a copywriter or something like that, but I'm really interested in governance, right? I'm really interested in how you leveraged either tokens or NFTs to decide what to do for the greater good of the community. And I say, that's perfect. Let's plug you in there, right? Like because, because we're all trying to figure out this together. How do I know just because you've been a graphic designer for 10 years doesn't mean you make, you won't make the best governance person in the world. Right. And so, so you will find something that may not necessarily be tied to your skills that you currently have, but you, that you'd be real, you'll be really interested in moving forward. Tokenomics didn't exist, right? Anything to do with proposals and governance, like I mentioned, just straight up didn't exist. There's mm-hmm. even if you're an engineer, right? solidity or, or all these different protocols didn't exist. JavaScript's been around forever on used for a variety, variety of different things. This is a brand new paradigm that we haven't seen. So just jump in. If you end up doing something that you're passionate about, like if you go from copywriting on in a, in a startup to copywriting in, in a DAO, totally fine. Like we need plenty, but you'd be surprised. You might see something that you didn't even know existed. That's really, really valuable which will kind of increase your value as a contributor, especially if you find something like that, where there's not a lot of people working on that. So dive head first, because you will find out so many interesting things that you can get involved with that you probably didn't even know existed in the first place. Yeah. Well, case in point, you know, for you, you've, you're now a community builder and a community leader and you probably didn't even know that that was a path for you. And then what you did is dive straight in started talking to people and, and realized, Hey, I'm actually good at this. I'm actually passionate about this. I actually enjoy exactly. doing a hundred percent. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. It's funny. Cause it's been a year of like, you know, working so long and so deep. I didn't even realize like I'm, I'm an example of that myself. Right. I'm doing something completely different. And 
-hmm. Again, even with specific community man managers, Web3 community looks vastly different than previous community design has ever looked, right? And so 100%. Just, just dive head first and, and, and see, and, and I guarantee you'll be surprised in a good way. Well, um, I would like to close with, what is your personal motto that you live by or a quote that inspires you? I don't know if this is a quote or anything. Maybe I'll, I'll try to craft it into one. I feel like the biggest growth for myself personally and any kind of advice I would give to someone is I've noticed that anytime I've thrown myself into what has been seemingly uncomfortable positions or something that kind of piggyback on what I said earlier, kind of diving in head first on something is when I've had my biggest kind of jumps forward. Okay. I think with, with what we're doing at Krause House, battling those early stages of like, oh, you guys, this must be a rug pull. You guys are crazy. NBA would never allow it, right? And I'm like, maybe they're right. I don't know. Not the rug pull stuff, but like, will the NBA ever allow it? Like, I'm like, I don't know. Is, is this a, is this something? And then you just kind of keep, keep fighting forward. And now, I don't want to say overnight, but in, you know, a few short months, that whole narrative has been flipped. And every single person I talked to was like, this needs to exist. And so what I would tell anyone doing anything, not just work with DAOs is that, um, as soon as you kind of start to feel yourself getting a little bit, you know, too comfortable in what you're doing, seek, seek some uncomfortability, because I think that's, that's when you really start to start to level up. And so anytime, like I said, anytime I look back in my life and at the time I'm thinking, what am I doing? This is probably the most disastrous thing I could possibly think of on the other side of that, um, ended up being being a lot of growth so i think that's kind of the undertone of why people are maybe so excited about this about this bear market or that, that we're that we're seemingly heading into is that it's it's going to be really really uncomfortable but if you look back on everything that's been done or developed during these downturns major growth coming on the other side and i think the same thing applies oh, yeah. to the individual some of the best companies and organizations are birthed during recession times and bear markets so you know it's, it's build time so it's build time. It's build time. Let's go. Well, let's so it. awesome having you on this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your life journey about Krause House. And just, yeah, I mean, what a bold vision. And I'm super excited. I, I definitely want to be part of it. <laughs> so oh, we'll get you in there. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So for any listeners, KrauseHouse.club, follow them on Twitter and check them out. And we'll be definitely in touch. So thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so um, much for having me. This was great. That's some really awesome questions. And I'm hoping that whoever listens, however many people listen, get some value out of it. Yes, definitely. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on season one of The Dow Factor. Follow The Dow Factor on Twitter and YouTube to watch videos of our podcast, where we'll be dropping a new video every week featuring key leaders of DAOs, community builders, and leaders in Web3.